Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches they never changed anything. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man 100 years ago and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man 
and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he has he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, He'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen. Hi there. I'm Jack, and this is Drew. And today we're working on a simple but fun project that you can do at home with kids. And even better, it'll teach them the fundamental skills they need to make lots of other projects. Isn't that right? Yep, that's right. We're building a box. It's simple, but there's so many uses for a box like this. So what do we do first? Okay, so first we're going to cut all the pieces that will make up our box. Let's do that one together. Okay. So take the tape measure, and you're going to mark a mark at four inches. Go for it. Good. Now, anytime we mark something, you want to mark an X on the side that we're not going to use, or the waist side. Good. So which side? That's right. Good. Now do we saw? Not quite yet. First, we need to extend our line all the way across our board. So let's use the speed square. And you're going to put one edge on the edge of the board and slide it all the way across. And now we have a straight line. Good. Measuring and marking is the key to every woodworking project. Okay. Now we saw. Now we saw. Okay. Do you have your safety glasses? Go ahead and put them on. I'm going to do the same thing. All right. Always, always, always safety first. Okay. So we want to make sure our area is clear. We want to make sure that we don't have any loose-fitting clothing. So roll your sleeves up. If we had any long hair, we'd want to put that up, all right? And most importantly, we want to make sure our fingers are out of the way, okay? I'm going to clamp the board down, and you're going to saw. You want to start by moving the blade back and forth, Drew, and you want to get a little starter cut going. You want to keep it about 45 degrees like that, okay? okay. So I'm going to help you get started. Good. You got it? Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to get my hands out of the way. Good. That's good, and you're making a little groove for the blade to sit in. Now back and forth. Good. That's good. Almost there. I know it's hard work. A few more pulls. And nice. Good job, but don't rest yet. We have three more boards to cut. All four pieces are cut, so let's build a box. Now, you remember how I showed you? Uh, yeah, I think. Okay. I'll help you if you need it. Okay. So, squeeze out this glue yes. and use my finger to spread it along this long edge here. Yes. And then I can push these two pieces together. Yep. And check to see if it's square. Good. How do you do that? The corner of this. Okay. Square. Do we clamp next? Yes. All Once right. Once it's all square, I'll hold it, and you can clamp it. Okay. Okay. Now we're gonna let the glue dry, and then it's time for the mighty the hammer. The mighty hammer. Let's practice on this scrap piece of wood. Okay. Okay. And you're gonna start by lightly tapping the top of the nail. 
now, move your fingers, and you can really start to hit it. Good. Good practice. Let's do it for real. Good. So now use the nail set. Go ahead. Good job. You want to do the next one? Yeah, it's going there. All right. All right, now we have to sand. Uh, All right. Sanding makes the wood smoother, and it gets okay. rid of any rough edges and prevents splinters. So we want to start with a rougher grit sandpaper and long, smooth strokes. We can work our way up to a finer and finer sandpaper as we go. And we're done sanding. Now, what you do with it now, Drew, is up to you. You could paint it or stain it. Or we could make something else that's like made with a block shape. Definitely. We learned a lot of good fundamental skills here today. We learned how to keep things square, measuring and marking, uh, how to use a handsaw, and hammering. All great skills to have. Oh, what about sanding? And sanding. We learned sanding as well. So what are we going to make next? How do you feel about a log cabin? Log cabin? Pretty much just a box with a roof on it, right? That's right. Maybe we'll work our way up to that. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you have a great time building things together, like we did. See you next time. Bye. Good job. Thank you. Did you learn something? Yeah.
A group of Cincinnati veterans got some very special gifts today thanks to a unique middle school math program. In a story you'll see only on Local 12 News, Rich Jaffe says the vets got some cool custom-made benches and the kids who made them got some hands-on lessons about numbers. The seventh grade students from Woodward delivered their woodwork to the Joseph House in Over the Rhine Monday afternoon. The benches were created in a first-time class called Carpentry Math. It's designed to teach kids that measuring ratios, proportions, angles, and fractions are all things that can be applied to real-life jobs. Using a protractor, measuring angles, supplementary angles. So by then saying, okay, here's the math we learned, and applying it to measuring, to cutting angles on the chop saw, um, it was that sort of um, skills put this math to life. Joseph House is a program that helps veterans overcome homelessness and dependencies. The new seats are much appreciated by guys like maintenance manager and graduate Randy Stevens. It's very encouraging. It's great. A lot of gratitude. The lead instructor for the course was union carpenter Michelle Stallings. And she says being a lady carpenter is indeed a little different. We have to learn to adjust our body weight with the materials that we carry. So that's the only difference is... You may do things a little bit more masculine to me, and I may be a little bit more daintier. The class was the brainchild of Ann Mitchell. She runs summer projects that train inner city kids for construction jobs. This is what how things actually happen, but it all takes measuring, and you know, I tell them measure twice, cut once, and lefty loosey righty tighty, all those things they have to because. Yay. It's math, it's but it's true. also common sense, and you've got to do it. Jewel Hawkins comes from a construction family and says, I love to do construction. It's fun. Cool. Would you recommend it to other girls? Mm-hmm. I think they should go out, and they can do whatever they want to if they put their mind to it. My mom tells me that all the time. She's probably watching right now. I'll bet she is. In Over the Rhine, Rich Jaffe, Local 12 News. That's awesome.
Before I get started with this video, I just want to personally thank the brother Fred Hassan Powell of the Morale Facebook page for sharing this social political cartoon which is currently displayed in this video. I always big up brothers who are artists like him, my man Will James, Alex K. Art, Chris Miller, and others because their pictures speak volumes. They don't have to say one word because as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. In fact, I want y'all to take a good look at this picture, which shows a brother with his hat flipped to the back, telling the bald-headed brother that he's hungry as fuck. When the brother attempts to hand him his own fishing rod so he can get some fish on his own, he gets verbally assaulted. No, nigga, I want some fish. Fuck out of here with that cool shit. Man, if you look closer, you'll see that the brother that says he's hungry got a fresh pair of Jordans on his feet. And once again, I want to thank you, Fred, for sharing that photo because it is a perfect warm-up for what I'm getting ready to bring up next. Look, last week, I had to stop past a gas station, and when I went in, I took a quick glance over to the newsstand, and I saw the Washington Post. The first thing that caught my eye was something that you normally don't see on the cover of a newspaper, which was a few straggling pants sagging brothers sitting on a stoop of a building outside. I didn't have the time to read the paper in the gas station because I had to fly, but I checked the article online when I got home, and I was just flabbergasted. I want you all to check it out for yourself in the description box. It is the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, and the front cover story is a look back at the riots which took place in Baltimore this past April following the death of Freddie Gray. The Post took the time to interview a few of the residents and get their personal take on how things have been and has any positive change comes to the streets of Baltimore after the riots. And one of the brothers that they interviewed was a young man that was out there on the streets peddling drugs from time to time, and he stated that he ended up finding out shortly after the riots that there were a few storefront apartments that were up for sale and that they were only selling for just $5,000 a piece. He then said that when he ran the idea of getting together and investing in the neighborhood past several brothers that he was out there selling drugs with on the streets, all of them told him no. And see, this goes to what brothers like myself, Sean James, and many others who are right here on YouTube have been telling y'all about this modern Negro. Okay, This Baltimore brother that was interviewed by the Washington Post had a great idea and the right frame of mind to purchase this storefront property while the price is extremely low. But the rest of the Negroes that are around him ended up dragging him into the quagmire of apathy that surrounds the Negro landscape. Shit, dude! Get that picture on your face, here, dude! That bitch scared, nigga! Oh! Oh! Beat our motherfucking ass! She feel like you a motherfucking nigga. Beat her motherfucking ass. Yeah, that nigga can't. That nigga hurting himself. You from Nuke State. Hey, it's over. It's over. It's over. What I say is over. Everybody get the fuck out of here. Man, fuck it. Let's go across the street. Who got some and it just needed a little bit of furnishing. 
These spots could have easily been rented out to tenants or used as cheap housing by family and friends that could have worked a legitimate business out of that storefront. The Negroes just don't get it. Because the more legitimate storefronts, strip mall shops, apartments, and tenements you own would lessen the police targeting you. Because then you could do what the foreigners and white folks that own these places do, which is hire the police to work security at your properties and places of business. Why do you think they don't go upside the heads of these foreigners? Because they step to the police officers and let them know that they have work for them. These foreigners and white folks that own and run these storefronts hire the cops, and if they don't pay them with cash, they give them free merchandise and meals on the house, so they in turn look out for them. And half these cops do moonlighting security at these places, even when they are on duty, because all they got to do most of the time is just drive through with a squad car or do a quick foot patrol right near the business or apartment housing units that are being rented out. This is why they don't give the Chan family or any Chinese youngster any problems when they see them in the hood by their dry cleaners. This is why they don't bother Mr. or Mrs. Akbar or any Arab kids that they see near the gas stations they own. This is why they don't mess with Miss Yee or any of her grandkids that are close to the nail salon she owns. Because they take a small percentage of the proceeds and pad the local policeman's pockets. And see, your typical foolish Negro that would challenge what I just told you will say, well, see, you insinuating that we got to bribe the police for them to stop brutalizing us. But they, like most, don't know anything about capitalism. It is a game of economic musical chairs. I just gave you the analogy when I mentioned all the foreign families that own all the storefronts, strip malls, and rental properties. Who is the only one who is left standing up with no businesses or property to speak of when the music is done playing and the cops roll through the neighborhood? That's us, yapping back and forth when the music stops and they tell our loitering asses to get moving or catch a bruising. That's us, walking around with sagging pants and glow-in-the-dark fluorescent color wigs like this sister that you see right here tossing rocks during the riot last April. Now, she's throwing rocks and expressing her anger and frustration, but she has a fresh weave on top of her head, which helped pay some of the officers that broke Freddie Gray's back. So who is the sellout and coon, black folks? And think about it. If you own some of those storefronts and control the flow of unlaundered, legitimate-made currency that comes through those areas, you can do your illegal dirt all day long without that much harassment from the local authorities. You might draw attention from a few alphabet gang organizations like the DEA, FBI, and others, but the local guys aren't going to pay that much attention because you're helping them pay bills and you're putting food in their stomach. And since I brought up the subject of illegal activity and you pan-sagging clowns love to talk about how gangster you are, why don't you do what some of the Irish, Italian, Jewish, and Polish immigrants your dumbass keeps trying to emulate did by legitimizing some of your hustles and using the same police force that chases you around the neighborhood as a shield. See, most Negroes will try to tell you that we are always at the end of a nightstick or baton or getting showered with bullets just because we are black. But ask yourself a question. Why aren't that many Ethiopians and West Africans getting mollywopped and punished to the extent that many so-called African Americans are in the U.S.? Remember, they're just as black and sometimes way darker than us. But why are there fewer cases? 
of them being brutalized and killed by the police, like we saw with Amadou Diallo or Abner Louima, both of which took place in New York. Why so few cases compared to us so-called Afro-Americans? It's because they're smart enough to own businesses, restaurants, furniture stores, parking lots, etc., and pay the cops to look the other way so their fellow countrymen aren't harmed in any way. That's the logical thing to do. But you can't tell this Negro from America that because you're still living off the backwards principle and creed of entitlement, which these liberals drafted up for us long ago. Instead of assessing this situation from a global perspective and seeing that everyone else seems to be purchasing everything around us so they can live comfortable lives and keep us at a position of marginalization as opposed to putting themselves in that boat, the Negro man and woman in the U.S. will counter it by saying, See, I object because my tax dollars pay for the police not to harass me. No, they don't, you imbecile. Especially after Uncle Sam rapes their paycheck just like he rapes everybody else's. Now, your pro-whack movement pseudo-black nationalist leaders will call me a coon for telling you this, but this is something that they know firsthand. They also know that you more than likely won't view this phenomenon from all angles because you're still under the influence of the can't-we-all-just-get-along flavor Kool-Aid most black folks drank after the post-civil rights movement era, thinking that all the bigotry-enhanced physical assaults and beatdowns we took during chattel slavery and Jim Crow had an exclusive cutoff date to them which is why every single year one of these highly publicized police brutality incidents takes place. There's some dumb Negro that says, I don't believe that in 2087 this is still happening to black people. Yeah, it is, and it's going to keep on happening in 2088 if you don't adopt a different way of thinking, dummy. Your pseudo-black nationalists won't tell you that you are mostly to blame for this continually happening because they want you to keep feeling sorry for yourself and attend more lectures and debates where they argue over whether or not a woman is God or which master teacher's philosophy is better to follow. But I'm here to tell you right now, black folks, that we don't need to attend a gazillion seminars travel with a million other jugheads to commemorate the anniversary of a march that never led to mass black improvement, or study the teachings of some philosophical doctor with 10 degrees to find a solution to our problem. This brilliant brother from Baltimore that was interviewed in the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, who more than likely didn't even finish high school, just gave us the answer. And if you're wondering why I titled this thing Ballin' on Baltic Avenue, I did so as a way of saluting one of my grandfathers. See, long ago when I was a very little boy, he taught me how to play Monopoly. I was about seven years old, and I was all geeked up racing around the board to buy Boardwalk and Park Place. And he said, go right on ahead. He let me do it and said, I'll just buy a Baltic, Mediterranean, Oriental, and all these other properties that you aren't even thinking about. So as the game went on, and I only owned Boardwalk, Park Place, and Pacific, I think, he had all the other properties, the railroads, the waterworks, the electric company, and a whole bunch of hotels and houses on all of them while I was looking silly. And I ended up having to sell what I owned and wait for that $200 paycheck once I passed go. Once it finally set in, that I lost the game, he chuckled and told me, son, you got to own what's in the ghetto before you walk around the block. 
And that lesson that my grandfather Dave, rest his soul, taught me still applies to this very day. Ownership is a universal language, no matter what culture or ethnicity you come from, because it regulates the sort of relationship you're going to have with most of the people around you. say some shit to y'all that uh, I seen yesterday that made me smile but it hurt me to my heart there's a house next door to me that's been abandoned and uh, the yard the grass high as hell and everything there's a couple of abandoned cars out there beside the house well yesterday I get off work about 7 o'clock a Mexican guy pulled up he said these your cars I said no he said I just bought this house man I said alright that's what's up he was like you know whose cars he is? He said, no. He said, well, I bought the house, not the cars. Okay, I'm like, cool. I'm thinking he's just coming to look at the house. I go back in the house, do a little straighten up. I swear to God, I walk back at the house. Now, I'm getting off about 720. It's fucking nine Mexican trucks just pull up. They got fucking beer, lights, and shit, right? So I'm like... What y'all finna do? He said, we finna fix this house. I said, what kind of crew you got working after 7 o'clock? He said, these my friends. The fucking house is fixed this morning. They went in there and drywalled that fucking house. Wow. I just left out of there. It was a fucking abandoned house. That bitch looked new this morning. Whew. It was an abandoned fucking house. And it looked new this morning. It's an old African proverb. Many hands make light work. I just don't think they're better than us. I just think we won't do nothing together. Wow. You're not hearing what the fuck I'm saying. It was an abandoned house yesterday at 7 fucking 15. That bitch is new this morning. He bought a tax lien house. I can't wait to see what they do. I can't wait to see is one family going to live in there? Is they going to... I'm going to get to know the motherfuckers. You best believe me when I make some money, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring us together. And I'm not fucking with a lot of people. 